0: Hello and welcome to episode four of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle for men. My name is Ewan Lawson and this is season one of Blokeology. Season one is all about running, from getting you started as a complete newbie to exploring new techniques for more advanced runners. Today, John Richmond and I have a chat about goals and habits in relation to running, fitness and to other areas like eating as well. Should you run races? How can you make goals realistic? or should you concentrate on developing habits and making exercise such as running part of your daily routine. It's a big topic, but incredibly important, and I'm sure it's one we'll come back to again in the future. You can find all the show notes at www.locologyforward/004. and you can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology, at www.blokology.io forward slash journal. John and I have worked together for many years in substance misuse settings and so some of our discussions do range a little bit into addictions and some of the lessons we've learned and the experiences we've had dealing with people who've had problems with substance misuse and dependence. A lot of this relates into discussions about habits and as well as breaking bad habits how about how we can go about developing good habits as well. So let's get cracking. Okay so today we're going to talk about habits and goals i think so john the first thing to ask you is how do you do you set yourself goals when it comes to your running
1: yes i do tell me about them um and i've always done it i think i've always done it with the use of technology which we've talked about before and um so i bought a piece of technology and if there's a running plan associated with it then I'll use that one, or I'll make one up from a book or something, and I and I get it in my diary. So I'll get a plan of action getting towards an event, and um,
0: yeah. And so, your are you, do your goals tend to be events that you yes. work towards particularly?
1: Yeah, I've always done it that way. Um, I find it slightly surprising that I do, but I do. So I think
0: my I think goals are really important, and people I think often associate running with races and. That they have to achieve something, and I'm—I have mixed feelings about them. I know they're very important to some people, and you're obviously one of those people that thrive having a goal to go for.
1: Yeah, I think without it, I, so I have had long periods of time where I haven't used goals, and I just end up doing the same thing day in day out, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I just felt you know, in order to mix it up, I'll stick a goal in there couple of goals in the year and Yeah, teams, I think the people goals.
0: who really need the goals or benefit from them are those who would stop if they didn't have them as well. You wouldn't be like very now at your stage and you're kind of running. You perhaps wouldn't stop, but. I think I might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I've got to the stage where I don't find goals terribly, I, they don't change too much what I do. A little bit. That's not entirely true. I ran a long fell race, hill race last September, October. Um, and I did do significantly more in terms of long runs. It forced me to get out and do longer runs and, it, you know, make it, as you say, mix it up and make it a bit more, a bit more variety to my running, push myself a little bit. It really helped for that. But my mixed feeling about goals is that I absolutely hated the race. Yeah. I, I, I didn't enjoy myself and, I, and I've done very few events where I've enjoyed myself. I find them so – I find that I get so – even though I'm not – you know, I'm just middle of the pack, if I'm lucky in terms of where I come, that would be achievement to be middle of the pack. I'm usually slightly further back than that. I just get enormously stressed by them. I just get get enough adrenaline firing around my system that I often end up with tummy problems, very nauseated. I find the stress – it spoils what an activity I would normally enjoy doing, running in the hills. Fantastic day out in Scotland, running through some of the greatest hills there are and i had a really awful day it was like seven hours of torture it was seven hours of hard going so that's my mixed feeling but it on reflection it did get me doing longer runs i did feel a bit fitter it mixed i mixed it up and kept me interested
1: yeah and um although although i don't particularly enjoy the race i think you know you're you're always going to be if you're Yeah, you don't have to, but when I do it, I'm always trying to reach some goal in the race. So the most recent thing that I did, I think was a 10K. And so I wanted to try and get under 40 minutes from a 10K, which I didn't do, but that was what I was aiming for. But of course, trying to do that is a very uncomfortable experience.
0: I mean, yeah, you've got to run, you are know, right up at your threshold yeah. all the way around for 40 minutes. You're not, that's much harder than you might normally. You should always be running harder in a race than you should in training, of course. So the race is by almost by definition. It, I mean, if you're aiming for the fastest time you can, that is, yeah. if you're aiming the, for the fastest time you can, you should never really be running that fast in training, no. apart from maybe the, you know, for brief intervals, perhaps.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's another thing around training for an event is that, uh, again, we've talked about it before, it means that you're doing less than you might do if you felt that you weren't working towards something. So because I know that I'm working towards a particular goal, I need to, I know I need to do a particular training plan. And although there are elements of that which are pushing up towards threshold or beyond threshold, they're quite short. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time, it's just long distance, quite easy running, which is very yeah.
0: yeah, quite enjoyable yeah. and very effective. And I, I, I certainly something we should talk about in the future is that, and we, we've talked about in the past that, and I'm just reading Matt uh, Fitzgerald's book again, 80-20, yes. I think it's called eighty twenty 20 running. It might just be called 80-20, which is very much about, you know, that making sure that your training is polarized or there's very, you don't just spend all your time running it at mid-level intensity mm-hmm. and that it should be mostly low intensity, 80% low intensity, 20% hard, high intensity.
1: Yeah. And I think without a, without a training goal, without a training plan to, towards a particular goal, I just, I, I, I find it difficult to, to make myself a training plan that's just going to be for six weeks. I'm going to do this for six weeks and then I'm going to do something different. I just, I can't cross that Rubicon of being able to do that. It has to be, I'm doing it for, well, usually 12 weeks to a particular event. Yeah, because it would
0: feel weird to have a training program which wasn't, didn't have an end point, where you didn't have an end goal. And you, the danger is then, of course, you just end up in mid-level intensity all the time, which might make you feel okay. But the evidence showed, and Matt Fitzgerald was really good at going through this, is that you actually you, you, you reduce your fitness. It actually can decrease. Yeah. Okay. It went down in athletes and various couple of studies. It went down in athletes who just trained at mid-level mm-hmm. compared to those who were polarized to some extent or slow, mostly slow with a little bit of fast. There's various sort of nuances he goes through in that, but it's really not good for you to run it sort of mid-level. But a goal is really good at getting you, being focused, isn't it? And actually you're running at that slower pace, which is so beneficial and feels so nice, as well as some harder stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think it also, because you're, or for me, again, because you're engaged in a program, you're just a little bit more mindful of what you're doing. So when I'm just just out running with the dog, Um, I'd just be plodding along, thinking about who knows what. Just worrying about work probably. (laughs) Well,
0: maybe that's not a bad thing. You probably would worry about it or think about it and then actually by the end of the run, you've probably got it straight in your head. And actually if your VO2 max goes down by a few percent, well, you know, who cares? It doesn't matter. You feel good. So it's not to denigrate that kind of no goal, just going out and enjoying yourself. I think that's a really... It's a problem if some, you're doing something and you start to feel pressurised. I think that's the other downside of goals, isn't it?
1: I think the the other good thing about um, not having a goal is if you've just got a regular running practice, you can just go out for a run every day and it's just in your diary or not even in your diary, it's just in your life. And, it's a, and that's a habit that's easy to keep going because it's... You don't have to think about it at all. You just have to put your shoes on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We should definitely, we'll talk about habits just in a moment. Cause I think that's really, that's the other, I think for me, the goal and the habit thing are kind of, they're slightly a flip side of each other. They could be a flip side of each other, but they obviously can go hand in hand as well. What kind of things, Just a little bit things that if you do set a goal and make you more likely to be successful, what have you found in the past?
1: Again, it's, it tends to be a new bit of kit or, you know, so it's, it's somehow that I'm it's, it's a justification for continued, I have to keep doing it because I bought the new kit or I'm going to keep on doing it because I'm going to get some new kit at the end of it. So I've, it's always sort of, re, I try to do it reward based. And that's something that I've done, Um sort of again, talking, moving on to habit talking as well, <laughs> is that it's really nice to... To do something like that and set yourself, and at the end of it, I'm going to get this.
0: Yeah, the, yeah you're right. I think that's a really, that's it. We'll, we'll yeah, that habit thing's really important, isn't it? And it's all about that sort of cue, uh, routine, and reward.
1: And in terms of what keeps me on track, it's, it's the diary. You know, if it's in my diary, I don't have to think about it. I've, I've already put in what it is I'm going to do that day, I've programmed it into my watch. And I don't have to think about it at all. All I have to do is just go out there.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I was going to say about, let's go on to habits. But the one thing I was going to say about goals is I think the evidence shows that setting realistic goals is important more than anything. So that actually, if you've just started running and you are a newbie, you know, you could run a marathon or you could run an ultra, but maybe actually is your first event. The marathon disabled isn't perhaps your best bet. And you'll need to, you'll be looking at a 5k first of all. So realis- realism is really important. And the other thing is public accountability is a big thing, isn't it? And sometimes there's a, there is some evidence that if you put it out there, if you tell people about it, if you, you know, they, they will hold you accountable. And actually that act will, of doing that will help. So I think that's a lot of people do that with goals, don't they? And if they're part of groups like 5K running groups.
1: Yeah. There's quite a lot of those park runs around right now as so well.
0: Yeah, and I think they probably help that. They build a little community. And that's one of the great things about community, that it can help. You you know, helps someone to tell your goals to keep you accountable, keep you working towards. And I, I, for me, the ultimate aim is habit, that you should do it. And that's my ultimate aim, at least, is that I should do running or exercise just because it's not part of my normal life. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it. And that's now I haven't always been like that. And in fact, it's only the last three, four five years, maybe five years now that I've actually managed to do running and do exercise regularly, consistently several hours a week without working too hard. One of the biggest things, and you were just talking about that, that I did was I really, I used to run just at weekends or cycle. And if I missed a weekend, suddenly I'd been off for two weeks and I would have several months where I hadn't done anything. It was very I'd start procrastinating about it. And then I'd have to go back to the start. And so what I did was really make an effort to run in the week or exercise. It wasn't always running, but generally running in the week once or twice. And the only way I could do that was by planning it a week ahead. Uh, You've mentioned the diary. I think that's a really powerful tool for anybody who wants to start building a habit is to sit down at the beginning of the week, whether it's a Sunday night or whenever you want to do it and plan the week ahead and actually look at the barriers. That's the other thing about goals is actually one of the, I think there's some evidence about goal. You say your goal is just to run three or four times in a week. One of the ways to be successful in your goals is to envisage, is to spend a lot of time looking at what the barriers are and actually really consider what's going to get in your way. So when you look at that diary for the week and you can say, well, I've got a, you know, I've got a whole day of meetings here, or I've got to take the kids' on this evening there, or I've got to go away traveling on business here, then actually anticipating that, planning around it and recognizing that means if you're away all day Thursday, you need to exercise on Wednesday. Yeah. And for me, that's incredibly powerful because I know if I don't go out on Wednesday, I'm not going to get out on Thursday. And by Friday, I'm going to feel like throttling someone because I'll be frustrated and annoyed. Mm-hmm. And actually planning ahead is a massively powerful I strategy. Think
1: so. I think there's, strategy. A, there's other things as well, like, you know, in terms of um, just going back to kit again, you've got to have enough kit so that if something's in the wash you've got others to wear so there's even little practical things like that it's just yeah. you know, how often do you do a wash every week if it's a, if you only do a big wash once a week then you're going to need however many sets of kit to yeah. cover you yeah
0: well that yeah, well, I, was, I was just talking about that with my wife the other day about our washing and we have a we there's at least a load goes in every single day in our house with three kids, yeah. and actually the other reason a load goes in every single day is because both myself and my wife exercise most days mm. and so the kit is constantly turning over and i usually just peel it off of the drying rack to put it on yeah. most days but it's, as you say it's little things like that it, that leads me on to a, a book i would recommend which is mini habits by stephen guys i don't know if you've ever had a chance to have a look at that no, I haven't read it. no but uh, really interesting that just basically you set yourself to do to get to try and develop a habit one of the problems is if you set yourself a really big task like i'm going to go out and run 10k you just you know it's too easy to find it difficult to do but if you set yourself the target of you know, I'm just going to go out and run 500 meters or even lower, just I'm just going to put my running kit on. What happens is that you actually, as a consequence of that, and the other, the other example they give is like press-ups. So if you're going to do some bodyweight exercises, set yourself the target of a single press-up, you're going to achieve that and you'll almost certainly carry on as well. And it's quite a powerful strategy for getting you over that initial procrastination hurdle and getting you going. And it's based in some pretty sound neuropsychology as well. Um, I think that kit one falls into that. If you just, you know, as a habit, you put your, have your kit out, have it ready, have it clean, yeah. and then you put it on when you get up in the morning yeah. and you don't have to think about it. Mm. Um, the evidence shows that we only have a certain amount of executive capacity to make decisions and we get decision fatigue. Mm. And I have always found, and I don't know about you, but I've always found if I try and go running later in the day, by that point, oh, I'm screwed. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm tired out. I get, and I make bad decisions. And the bad decision is usually not to go running.
1: My best time for going run, running has consistently been as soon as I get out.
0: I have to have breakfast and be up for half an hour, really. If I go immediately, I feel pretty grotty.
1: Well, I can't run until a couple of hours after eating. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I find I just, I usually get up, have breakfast, half an hour, then that's my optimum time to go running for me. But I, I also, it's it's enough of a habit. I, if you, If I could go straight out of bed, I would. Because I think you don't think about it at all. You don't have to make a decision. It's just a habit. It's just the thing you do.
1: I think the best time in terms of how good I feel for running is 11am. Okay. That doesn't-ish. Um, 11.02. <laughs> yeah. 11. 11.02, 11. I would think. But um, of course, that doesn't fit with work or if anything else is happening else in, in the day. And, but...
0: To a certain extent, I feel I'm aware that I'm lucky in that I have structured my work and my lifestyle. That means that I do have a bit of flexibility in the mornings. And I can sometimes you know many mornings in the week, if I'm not in a GP. clinic, is go for a run, go to work. That means I mean it may be a little bit later, half an hour, an hour later than it would be. I get just as much work done, I think. And I've had a run and I've had that flexibility. So I rec- recognize that people that have got very fixed routines, work routines, that's going to be a lot harder. But recognizing and knowing that is really makes a huge difference to your habits, doesn't it? And yeah. that it can really help to ingrain those good ones. Uh, the other book that I highly recommend is a mini, mini Habits by Stephen Guise is really good. I'll put it in the show notes. And the other book that I really would recommend to anyone is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I think it's Duhigg. Never never said it out loud. It's, it's spelt Duhigg. D-U-H-I-G-G.
1: That's all the CO bands that I've known for a long time, only to realize that they were, they were just characters in books, not real people. When I met the real people, it's just gone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Never occurred to you. <laughs> hey, we've all got, I can't remember any of mine, but we've all done that, I think. It's hard when you've done <laughs> uh, the, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Really good. And that kind of goes into that neuropsychology of habit. And we've both worked with people that have got had addictions. And I, I think recognising, you know, I, the, the evidence shows, and I, I, this is a slightly dubious statistic, I think, but I think the the, the principle stands that we only make that 40% of what we do in the day is habit-based. We don't make decisions. And there are good reasons for that. That it would make sense that we're not, you know, it's hard work making decisions. The brain uses up a lot of oxygen, kind of, you know, it needs a lot of um, power. And actually just having stuff running on autopilot is really efficient way to do it. And your brain likes to do that. It'll ingrain stuff into your basal ganglia. You don't have to think about it. It just happens like driving a car. Yeah,
1: And I think during the day, I think you retrospectively fit onto things that you do that you made a decision about it, but actually you're just running yeah, running on autopilot. Yeah, that's right.
0: You're absolutely just, you're not thinking, you don't really do the same thing at all. And we've all had that experience of, you know, driving a car and not really remembering the last couple of miles.
1: Yeah, and that's my days. My days are like that. (laughs) You get the end of the day and you sort of go,
0: weeks of your life just go past, (laughs) but you haven't made any decisions. You've done the same thing. And actually recognizing that you can be conscious about a lot of stuff and particularly about your exercise can make a huge difference. Um, uh, So I think that's really powerful. And uh, Charles goes into that in quite some detail. And I think one of the things that he talks about is that you can't – is about amending bad habits as well. And that you get a cue and then you have a routine and then you get a reward. That's the sort of habit cycle. So the cue might be – the smokers are a good example. You know, the cue is having dinner. You finish your meal. The routine is having a cigarette. The reward is then getting the nicotine hit. You know, that satisfaction of where your nicotine was dipping and it comes back up to normal again. Mm -hmm. It's just probably, actually probably more the case with most nicotine. It's just a normalization process.
1: Mm. With most drugs that you're tolerant to by the time you've been on it for a while.
0: Yeah, it's just bringing you back to normality rather than the sort of stress of your body um, withdrawing.
1: Um, You
0: can actually stop those habits often. You can't, but you can change them. And, so you, know, and you need to, so you need to run with your habits a little bit. The example I give is that I used to eat in the car a lot. And I think that was a real problem with me when it came to losing weight. And I recognized that I was always eating in the car, particularly I would stop at a garage. I would get some crisps or some chocolate. And it was really nice. Mm. You know, it was really pleasant. <laughs> I'm feeling quite hungry now. I <laughs> can see some crisps. But what I did was I actually, I recognized the queue was driving or the queue was pulling into a garage. And once I recognized that's what I was doing, and it was quite unconscious behavior for a long time that I was, I was doing it without thinking. And I can't lose weight. I'm, you know, It just doesn't make any sense, doctor. Why am I not losing weight? I eat like a sparrow, doctor. And I'm not losing any weight. And actually, I changed. But rather than try to just stop it, which was really incredibly difficult, I bought gum. So I was actually buying something. and It kind of replicated the process. And then I was actually chewing as well. I was eating something. And of course, sugar-free gum, it's quite good for your dental health, and then certainly bugger all in the way of calories in it, actually completely got me over the whole eating in the car. And that is part of one of my strategies as for a bit changing the way I ate and an increase of I I lost a couple of stone over, you know, 12, 18 months and completely transformed my shape.
1: Yeah. I think one of the good things about smoking <laughs> that that I haven't been able to replicate, but I think would be a really good positive um, intervention in my life was one of the, you, you stop, it's not naturally after um it's to, as your nicotine levels drop. Obviously, you feel like having another cigarette, and you sit down for ten minutes and have a bit of a chat with someone, yeah. and that would be really good to do. Yeah, without the smoking.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, d- yeah, yeah. Do Hig, do Hig talks in some depth about this in the book. It's really interesting that actually you think the reward is the cigarette. You know, people who have smoking breaks at work, or they go off in the canteen and they and he talks, I think, about craving a sugary, sweet in the afternoon. But actually what he realized was that actually it wasn't the sugary treat necessarily that he craved. It was the company. Yeah. It was the chat to your colleagues. It was the break from the sitting in front of a computer screen mm-hmm. and then a little bit of socializing. So actually if you replace that and you recognize that that was what their habit was and that was the cue, routine reward cycle, you could actually, you go, well, actually I'm just going to go and find someone and bother them and have a chat to them. Mm-hmm. And that you got the same reward without the, the routine of the necessarily going out to the smokers yeah. little huddle. Outside. Yeah. But there's, there's obviously more complex with smoking sometimes because you've got the, always because you've got the physical dependence of nicotine. Yeah. But the physical dependence of nicotine is slightly off track. Uh, that goes within a few days, yeah. doesn't it? You're, you're past that very quickly. Almost all drugs. Yeah. You know, whether it's heroin or whatever. Really, you're only talking a matter of days, um, yeah. certainly with heroin, obviously relatively short acting, to, for that to be out your system. After that, it's all the basal ganglia stuff. Yeah. It's those psychological yeah, yeah. It's quite habits is the right word, and that's and uh, we do a lot. You know, we've done a lot of work in the past with people recognizing when you get certain cravings, routines, habits, and actually when people go into certain situations. And, and I think the same applies. The, the same does apply to exercise. Yeah,
1: it's having a a script to run. You know, when you or you know, even, I'm, i you know, I don't feel like going for a run and having some sort of pre-planned what you're going to tell yourself in those situations, in those situations. Well, if you don't do that, then tomorrow, yeah. you know, you've got, to, you'll have to go for a run, but there won't be time or, you know, whatever yeah. it is, some sort of story yeah. to tell yourself that yeah. gets you out the door.
0: That's right. I think that's that like envisaging that kind of, when you're going to run into problems with your habit, when you're, or you're trying to develop a habit, you're going to run into problem with your goal and you, that's the barrier. You just don't feel like it. Well, what are you going to do when you don't feel like it? What will you do to make yourself go? What we, what, I mean, it won't always work, but, you know, at least trying to tackle that, recognizing what the barriers are going to be. And I think the example we've thought about in the past is, you know, you think about going to the gym after work, but everyone's going out for a pint. And, or, you know, from, you know, or going down the coffee shop and having a bit of a chinwag. How can you address that situation? And that's a classic one, you know, when we talk about heroin dependence, you, know, you get there. People get a bit of money in their pockets mm-hmm. and they actually, the thing is they'll have a bit of a treat. And they often talk about it being a bit of a treat and having a bag of gear. But actually, what could you do instead of a bit as a bit of a treat or that kind of situation where you're going to go out running and actually really spending time thinking about what those situations are that you need to address and how you're going to tackle them, having a script to run.
1: And having a, a long term goal. And like I say with me, it's, it's often saying, well, you know, I'm going to get myself something at the end of the end of the road. So some sort of reward, delayed reward
0: and I think those goals are really important but I also think the long term bit's really important you mentioned there that actually you don't always sometimes you're going to have days where you eat too much you don't get as much exercise as you like and the trick is not to to take a much longer view uh, that you kind of you know I'm really if you want to change your behaviour you've got to change it over three four six months years that actually if you fall down for a week or two that's not the end of the world and don't let it derail your long term plans and your long term goals so hope you found that useful today and our discussion around habits. I just wanted to summarize in a few points some of the areas that we covered. The first thing I'd say is perhaps if we had about five points, the first thing is you don't have to have goals, but for many people they are incredibly useful, and perhaps it's more important to develop long-term habits now, they can be mutually uh, beneficial and they're certainly not mutually exclusive. But you shouldn't feel you necessarily have to do races or have target things like 5k run or a 10k run or a marathon in order to get the benefit from running and to improve your fitness. The next point would be point number 2. If you are going to have goals, then there are a few things you can do to make it more likely you'll be successful. One of the first things is to tell people and make yourself accountable. There's definitely evidence that that can make a difference. The second thing I would do is, as part of that, being successful, is plan for the barriers. Look ahead and see where the difficulties are. If you can envisage those, you can imagine the challenges you're going to face, you can then actually plan and you can plan for success a little bit more. And the other point when it does come to having goals is to try try to imagine how things are going to look in the long term, the benefits you're going to get, and those are the kind of things that will help you Keep working towards your goal, even if you have dips at various times. My third bit of advice and summary of this, Reliant Habits, would be to spend some time scrutinising your habits. A lot of what we do around them is unconscious, and we don't even recognise that what we're doing is a habit, and we're doing it in an unthinking, unconscious way almost. If you can spot where you are just buying that extra sausage roll or pasty or sandwich or bag of crisps or having a drink where you didn't really need it or avoiding taking exercise in some form without really making a conscious decision, then you're in a better position to try and address it. So my third point is really try to spend time looking at your habits and developing awareness of what it is you're doing in your life. My fourth point would be to start small. Making sweeping changes is hard to your lifestyle. And if you can make small nudges, mini habits, as Stephen Guise articulates in his book, if you can make small changes that you can sustain, then you've got a better chance of hitting your long-term goals. And the fifth one I would say is to learn to bend with your habits. As we discussed in the podcast, it's very, very difficult. It's almost like the golden rule, as Charles Duhigg says in his book, The golden rule of habit is that you can't change habit loops very easily. They are very firmly embedded in your basal ganglia, but you can push them. You can tilt them in various different directions and you can replace some of the behaviors around your habits with more healthy ones and ones that will make you feel better in the long run. So don't feel that you have to completely abolish doing a certain activity, but try and when you spot your habit, like my example of eating in the car. That I gave in the podcast. You've got to try to adopt them, uh, sorry, I should say adapt them a little bit so that you can adopt more healthy ones. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. The show notes for this episode can be found at wwwblocologyio forward slash 004. Please do leave a review and subscribe at Apple Podcasts. That would be incredibly valuable and we'd be very grateful. Any feedback is very welcome and you can leave comments, send email or make contact via Twitter, Facebook and the usual social media channels, all of which the details can be found again at blokology.io. Thanks again. Until next time.